1: It is Wednesday. It is not the last day of February. We get a bonus day tomorrow. Leap day. And so look forward to all of your you're going to get so many emails tomorrow morning with idiotic sales from every company you've ever bought something from. Is it what do you think they're going to do? Is it going to be 29% off? Is it going to be I don't I don't know. There's going to be a lot of nonsense, I'm sure. Uh you know, enjoy the bargain, I guess, if you're, if you're up for that. It is 4.08, and on Wednesdays, we introduce you to people in the media in a segment that we spent a long time trying to come up with a name for. We call it Jason Talks to the Media. Evan Ramstad is the business columnist for the Star Tribune. He's been with the Strip for 10 years, was at the Wall Street Journal before that, and the Pioneer Press in St. Paul. Uh, before that, Evan, it's so good to have you here on the show.
2: Oh, thanks so much. It's great to be here, Jason.
1: I really wanted to have you on because I'm just, I've been fascinated with uh, your approach and your columns, and both of us sort of have a similar path of coming from journalism to now being asked to express opinions. Right. Was right. Was it hard for you to make that transition at first?
2: Yeah, yeah, and it still is. I mean, I still have a lot of um, struggle uh, Frequently, my editor will say to you, t- to me, "What do you think?" Right, because <laughs> I just, you know, I see both sides of things or multiple sides to an issue, and I kind of lay it out like I'm writing a feature. And then I go back and think, "Oh, I've got to inject some opinion in here."
1: Right. Yeah, I get that too. What yeah. it w- come out with? What your opinion is? It is interesting that that readers and listeners today, I think social media has trained people to respond to other opinions with
2: hot takes. You got to have a take. Right, Right.
1: I would say my takes tend to not quite rise to the hot department. I try to have the hottest take on the stupidest, most insignificant thing. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> The other stuff, there's, there's a lot of nuance. There, there is a lot of gray to be seen in some of these areas, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I say to people that I've had one big idea and that almost all of my columns kind of spin back to that idea in one way or the other. And that idea basically is that Minnesota must grow. And what we're seeing in the state economically and with our demographics is that we are growing at the slowest rate ever. And so we've got to recognize that. And it's a challenge, but it's also an opportunity. And it just – I I just – See that as kind of the theme, and and I is see it a Minnesota on.
1: problem or is it an no, Upper it's, Midwest it's, sort it's, of problem? It's,
2: well, it, it's an American problem. I mean, mm. the the nation as a whole is is growth has population growth has slowed down immensely, and um, and so, but we in the sort of this northern tier of states, you know, from Maine really over to, to even North Dakota is kind of the end of it. The mountain states are growing, and the Northwest is growing, but. Um, but this northern tier of states is, is quite different from the rest of the country yeah. because we are growing. We, we are growing at the slowest rate, and some states are, are declining. You know, we are not declining in Minnesota, but we are um, very, very, very slow growing.
1: Yeah, I have a friend of mine who uh, started up a software company for manufacturers. So he does automation, basically designs automation system for manufacturing plants. Sure. And he, his concern is that. No one is gonna move like we have this big marketing campaign right now. Right. Which is great. Yes. And like what sort of person is like, you know what? That looks pretty good. Let's move. We all I moved here for one reason. A job. Right. I got a right. job offer. So if you don't have companies gen it's sort of a chicken and the egg. If you don't have companies generating jobs, no one's gonna move here. And if you don't have enough people here, Companies aren't going to locate their plants, right?
2: Right. So, so, how do you fix it? It's it's uh it's very tricky. I mean, because it's the, cold usually. The, the way we've grown for now twenty years has been by a steady stream of immig- of immigrants, yeah. you know, and yeah. and that got cut off a few years ago, and so now we are starting to to really feel the the effects. And um, so, just just one data point: uh, Minnesota's Overall workforce now is about twenty-eight thousand people, smaller than it was at the start of the pandemic. Most other states have workforces that are, are larger. Um, ours is still smaller. We we have the, uh, the most people working in the state ever. So we have this ultra-low unemployment rate. But uh, with a workforce that is not growing, it means our opportunities right. are not presenting. Yeah, and so and, and so. Um, you know, we learned in ninth grade business class that any place grows about one or two percent a year, but that has really stopped. And I guess what I've been really trying to get across in, in the column is that this is a massive change, and that Minnesotans in business and in politics have and, and in consumers have to change their expectations of how our state is working.
1: Avon Ramstad is with the Star Tribune. I- you and I share an outlook on this, and I've been struck by how little political conversation there is about ways to grow our state beyond taxes. The Republicans would like you to believe that taxes are the number one reason that people are leaving Minnesota. Uh, most of the research I've read is sort of mixed, mixed and complicated on, a, yeah. on that topic.
2: We're not bringing in a lot of people. And it doesn't that may, help. That may be because of taxes. Maybe. A But the exodus that people talk about is not nearly as big as they think it is. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's a kind of a confirmation bias because some of their friends have left or something like that. And they tend to see it as as bigger than it really is.
1: And the reality is, if you are someone in a position to leave Minnesota and go set up in Florida or Texas, uh, you may be leaving because of the weather, and you don't want your friends to think that you're that uh, superficial. So you c- right. go into some diatribe <laughs> sure, about the sure. politics. I don't know. Like People are complicated. Moving is complicated. And so I don't, I don't know that it's always as simple as people make it sound.
2: Well, I mean, there are states that have lost population. Fifteen states since 2020 have lost population. We are not one We're of not them. We're not one of them. We have, we have grown a mm. half a percent. It's a small—you know, the nation as a whole has grown one percent in that time. So, uh, you know, the nation was growing at, you know, three or four or five percent, you know, in our recent memory in the 2000s, you know, in the 1990s, of course, much faster than that. So – so this is a national problem. It's it's more it's more acute problem and felt more acutely because of the retirement now of the baby boomers, mm. which were, who were for um, until just a couple of years ago, when the millennials have now taken over. They were the largest generation of workers, you know. And so, is that
1: an opportunity? The fact, and one of our texters says, do can you do a story about hiring workers over the age of sixty four because sixty four is the new fifty four. It does make me wonder, I mean, people are probably do, not retiring as early as no, they were. No,
2: I, I do think we're going to see people working longer in, in coming years, for sure, because they're going to but be But are they needed. going to take these
1: managerial jobs that my Gen X generation is never going to freaking get because the boomers won't get out of the corner office? I have a feeling the managerial jobs are going
2: to go skip from, skip from the boomers down to the millennials. They go right and to Gen- the millennials. X is going what to happened go, to us? Why we, did we get We we're, really,
1: we're, were We really Got stomped. I'm we re- afraid <laughs> we really did. Like yeah. I don't know who to blame for it, but I'm upset at someone. Well, about I remember this
2: when. Do you remember in, in 1990 when Time Magazine came out with a cover about uh, Gen X? And it was it was kind of a derogatory thing, and and it was right around the time of reality bites yes. and all yeah. that. And I remember a friend of mine, a year younger from college, who who like stomped on that magazine, and she was just so angry. She <laughs> said, "These baby boomers are going to be defining us our whole lives." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and they're doing
1: the same. The millennials, my right. millennial friends, are so upset that they by, get portrayed. By how they are stereotyped. Yeah. And, you know exactly. what? Just all of us were the baby boomers were stereotyped when they were right. in those right. younger right. ages too. Evan Ramstead is the business columnist at the Star Tribune. What – you grew up in Iowa. What got you interested in journalism and in business journalism specifically?
2: Well, I kind of fell into business journalism. Actually, I grew up working at the town radio station Mm -hmm. in the town where I grew up, Grinnell, Iowa, And I tell you, this is my second time to WCCO. I visited when I was – it was around 1978 or 79. I was up here. We were visiting um, cousins up here in the Twin Cities, and I talked my way into a tour of WCCO. (laughs) I was like around ninth grade or something like that. Cool. And and so, um, no, I thought I was going to be in radio for a long time, and then I started working on the high school newspaper, and I realized that – yeah. Newspapers kind of are bigger and there's more sort of opportunities to go in different directions. And um so when I got to college I, I went and became a print journalism major and stuff. And then I got hired right out of school by A P and I spent ten years with the A P and I I was in Texas, but I also went to Washington and New York and it was in New York that I got put on the business desk and that you know, eventually sent me to the journal. And I
1: what was there. it like working for the Wall Street Journal? You specialized in, in the Koreas, right? Well,
2: I was – I was uh, my first five years, I was uh, a tech writer mm-hmm. in in Texas, and I covered the tech companies in the Midwest and, um, you know, Compaq and Dell at the time, Texas Instruments, um, firms like that, EDS. You know, this is back in the real boom of the 90s. Um, and then uh, – um, but yeah, I went to Asia in 2003, and I was in Hong Kong. And I was doing tech and uh, covering um, tech companies in Asia, ex Japan. Mm. So uh, not Japan, but the rest of the rest of the region. And that was a great job. And then the country that I was going to the most was Korea, and so I became the Korea correspondent and did that for almost seven years. Wow,
1: pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. And then came back here.
2: Right, my folks were here, and uh, so I was here for the last years of their lives, and been here now for 10 years as it turned out
1: yeah Evan Ramstead is our guest we're going to take a break when we come back I want to ask about child care you've written quite a bit about child care today very interesting column in the Star Tribune talking about loggers and how the winter I love a good counterintuitive story where the winter has really hurt logging right that was that
2: was a surprise to me when I found out that most of the logging in Minnesota happens in winter
1: good stuff more with Evan Ramstead business columnist at the Star Tribune in just a minute here on drive time Evan Ramstad is our guest. Uh, the Star Tribune columnists right now in the local section, and the business section, I think are phenomenal. All with unique perspectives. All former, like, street journalists. Yeah. Which I love yeah. a reported column, right? It's different right. than just some bozos spouting off.
2: Right. I, 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 all of the... Uh I mean, Laura Ewan and Jen Brooks are just—you uh, know—I uh, kind of look up and try to emulate them a little bit. They're and, so and, good, and they and they really, and they—they're—they're they're, they're much. They inject a lot more of themselves and and humanity <laughs> into their into their columns. I mean, I—I I think I'm trying as a business columnist. The 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 the, the nature of the um, topic may not be um, as um, emotive or appealing as yeah. as what they can do, but. Um, uh, yeah they're, they're they're just terrific you know and 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 I really you know of course our sports sports uh, writers and columnists are just fantastic
1: too you write a lot about child care
2: yeah I've done three columns on it this
1: uh, in,
2: just since the start of the year and a couple last year why too. does
1: that why is that interest you
2: because I'm writing about I, I look at at any kind of constraint because if I care about growth and I'm worried about our our uh, our inability to accelerate, I guess, I I look for what is slowing us down. What are the things that we can control? You know, we can't control the weather. We can't control the immigration debate. Um, But we can control certain things like housing, which I'm writing about for Sunday. And uh, child care is is something that, you know, the state has to – bring people off the sidelines into the workforce to get the workforce to grow right and and a lot of the people on the sidelines are basically um parents you know of young children yeah. and some of some of these people you know they'll be professionals and they'll be working in their careers then they have a child and male or female they'll they'll exit the workforce for a, for a time to take care of the, their child and, um, and then others, of course, just stay out for years and years because they're uh, raising a child. And, and, of course, that's wonderful, and, and that should be the choice of people if they wish to make it. Um, but uh, for a lot of people, it's not really a choice. It's kind of a, a, a need, and, 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 and part of that need is because the cost of child care has been I mean, so Preschool
1: care in this state, average cost is something like $12,000, I think, oh, for that, one kid.
2: For one kid, right, right, right. So if you have three more, kids, you yeah. could be
1: spending easily 30, 45,000. Now, some of this, I think, like what parents want out of childcare today is a little different than what I wanted when I was sending my kids. Yeah. Like parents want like uh, you know, the kid to learn sign language and Spanish and be fed organic food and. Sure. Go. Yeah. But even just a basic childcare is still like a high percentage of people's income.
2: Right. Right. And and so many child care, but the economics of the business are so difficult that
1: a lot of people are leaving it. Yeah. And so that, so that you're has, losing so, so supply,
2: losing supply. So it's 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 a problem from both. It is crazy. And,
1: you're and, like, how is this so expensive for right. the individual customer? And yet you're the, not making money. The business is not making it's money. all broke. Right. The whole system is broken.
2: Right. Right. And uh, and uh, again, also not a, not a Minnesota problem. Yeah, uh, it's just it's just that uh, these problems are attacked at the state level. There was a meeting I was at a few weeks ago in Blooming Prairie at a childcare center. And um, there were people from the legislature there and, and congressional aides there. And let me tell you, all the discussion was had by the legislators because the congressional aides, there's just nothing happening at yeah. the national level on this.
1: When you, you, know, you talk about growth, Evan Ramstad, business columnist at the Star Tribune, I sometime whenever I talk about like we need to get more people here. You, the reaction that I get from the audience is why? Like, right. we, why do we need more people? We pe- uh, need pe- to solve our own think, problems.
2: People think we're super we're crowded. Good. We're, I know, and
1: I, I sense that from politicians often too, because Sometimes. these potential newcomers are not voting, so yeah. they need to please the the people who are here,
2: right? Right.
1: Do you sense that that there's a I, lack I of do. interest? I, in... I
2: I get it all the time. I, I people are saying, "No, we, we got. We, look at the roads. We're jammed up. We're look at look. Who's going to fill? Who's going to go into all these apartments that are getting built?" But, but Jason, take a look around right now in downtown Minneapolis. There are no construction cranes. Right. You know, drive around the metro, there is, you you know, of course, part of this is the higher interest rates that we've seen to combat inflation, that they're designed to arrest the economy and they have succeeded. Um, But part of it, you know, know, contrast us with you were just down in Florida. You you know, you must have seen much more um, action and felt much more sort of energy uh, in in a place like Florida, which is really, uh, you know, getting few thousand people a day move in there you know
1: we have uh, about two minutes left before we get to a cbs news update on the supreme court which is deciding to take a look at uh they've set a date for when they're going to look at uh, former president trump's immunity claim i wanted to ask you about brian cornell target is going to hit 10 years with brian cornell yeah i have mixed feelings about him i think he's a great ceo and sort of a disappointment as a civic leader uh, are, are you going to write about ten years of Cornell? Well,
2: yeah. Next week they're going to have uh, their uh, uh, they're going to have their analyst meeting and their quarterly earnings next Tuesday. Uh, so our our we will have news reporters covering that, and my plan for that is to listen in, but also just to kind of look at what I'm calling the the eras of Target, mm. and like like a Taylor Swift sum up or something right. like that, right? right? You know, and I've kind of been doing some research about you know what were these moments, but you know he was the first outsider CEO to yeah. the company, right? And the company is much different I mean, uh, than, than it was as kind of a Minneapolis-born institution. You, you know, today it's just it's just so much so so different. It's a and,
1: global it's a global company. Right, right, right. It's not a Minnesota company in many ways.
2: In many ways, and and the way they have to look at who they compete with is 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 so far different. Yeah. I mean, you know, a decade ago, maybe they I mean, have to be different. Yeah. Right. I mean, they are really competing against you know Walmart and Amazon. Can you can you face two tougher companies? You know, and and uh, it, it's rather amazing the way they have still been able to carve out uh, the niche that they have and yeah. the hold that they have on their
1: customer base. It's true. I'm there multiple times a week, so there I you go. I was there this morning. <laughs> That's how it goes. <laughs> Evan said, I love your work. It was so great talking to you. I hope uh, we can do this again.
2: Thanks so much.
1: Evan said. pick up the Star Tribune or read them online at StarTribune.com. It is 4.30. We are going to go to CBS News because breaking news from the Supreme Court, April 22nd is the date, so if you were hoping that was going to come uh, soon, uh, you are going to be disappointed. Here's the latest from CBS News Are you lonely? It's a tough question to think about. The Surgeon General of the United States has declared loneliness an epidemic. It sounds dramatic, doesn't it? But we are learning more every day about the impact that social connections have on our health and the negative impact that loneliness and isolation can have on every aspect of our life Uh, to get some insight we wanted to talk with the deputy director of the University of Minnesota's Rural Health Research Center, Dr. Carrie Henning-Smith, who joins us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Carrie, thanks for being with us.
3: It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: The idea of loneliness being an epidemic, at first, to me, it sounded a little over the top. Do you Do you think it's a fair way to describe what we're seeing out there?
3: I do. I think probably epidemic is a scary word for all of us after the (laughs) past few years that we've lived through. And yet the data really bear out that loneliness is really common and really pervasive. In the Surgeon General's report, he shares that approximately half of Americans are currently struggling with loneliness. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we would admit that at some point in our lives, we've all dealt with feelings of loneliness. So addressing it as an epidemic is a good way to bring resources and attention to it.
1: One of the data points that came out today was from the Chamber of Commerce who analyze sort of residences. And I I don't know if I agree with the way that they characterize this, but they found in Minneapolis for about 44 percent of Minneapolis residents live alone, which puts the city Mm -hmm. ninth on its kind of loneliness index. I don't. Is it fair to say if you live alone, you're lonely or more likely to be lonely? I, I don't know.
3: It's fair to say that you are more likely to be lonely and research bears that out. Mm. But I don't think it's fair to make the leap to say that if you're living alone, you are definitely going to be lonely or lonelier. It just means you need to be more proactive in making those social connections if you don't have a household of people that you're coming home to each day.
1: Carrie Henning-Smith is the Deputy Director of the Rural Health Research Center at the University of Minnesota. And I want to ask about loneliness in context of of living in greater Minnesota, rural parts of America, because I think we often think of sort of the isolated, lonely, you know, 20-something person living in the city. But in rural areas, I, I wonder what the impact is there. On the one hand, I think of our, our small towns and our farming towns as having maybe a, a tighter social fabric than we sometimes have in a suburb or a city. But on the other hand, like just the geographical difference between distance between people in a physical sense, the social distancing, as it were. I wonder, which, what, what do you find when you look at loneliness and, and rural areas?
3: Yeah, you're raising so many good points there, and I think what you're getting at is how complex our social lives really are and how many things go into being well-connected with other people. Uh, You're right that rural communities typically have stronger social fabric historically, and today we've seen really strong social communities, social cohesion in rural places. But rural residents also have more barriers to getting together with other people that might be technological barriers, uh, harder access to broadband internet, fewer access to devices, but also the physical distance that you mentioned. We have all sorts of transportation barriers, especially for people who might not be able to afford a private vehicle or people with disabilities or health conditions that make travel difficult all of those things can make it hard to connect with other people in rural communities and mean that we need all sorts of solutions. This is not a one-size-fits-all problem, and we need a lot of different no. solutions to help everyone feel connected.
1: Some of the data on this, to me, is is staggering. You know, comparing 2020 to 2023, the Star Tribune, which has done a whole series on loneliness this month, found that mm-hmm. adults are spending 24 more hours alone by 2020 than they were almost two decades earlier, which I, I wonder what your thoughts as to why that is.
3: I think there are a lot of reasons for that and probably reasons that all of us could recognize in our own lives. We can't, underestimate or overestimate the role of technology and social media yeah. and the way that we've kind of isolated ourselves in our homes with the technology that we have. And I think sometimes hmm. we think that we are having meaningful social interaction by liking things on someone's Facebook page or scrolling through Instagram or whatever your social media of choice might be. Uh, But that's not enough. That's not enough to meet our human need for connection. We need something that's higher quality, that's, that's deeper and more meaningful than just how many friends you might have on social media. So I think that's a big part of it. And can, can, I just can
1: I just ask you a follow-up about that? Because it's so interesting. Yeah. I think a lot of us in the early uh, early years of the internet and social media felt like, wow, this is going to be an amazing way to make the world smaller and make us feel like we can find our people and be connected with them. But the science seems to indicate that I, I, do you need in-person or you just need a richer type of engagement that's not happening through a digital sense?
3: That's a great question. And social media is really, a, there are two sides to it. On one hand, you're absolutely right. It can be a good way to find your people. Thinking back to a rural example, if you don't feel like there's anyone else in your small community who really understands what you're going through, you might have an unusual Uh, identity or experience uh, along any number of markers, finding that community online can be really powerful. But the research shows us, if you're only interacting with people passively online and not making that next step the meaningful connection, whether it's one-on-one connection with someone virtually or one-on-one connection or group connection with people in person, then that's where social media becomes really harmful. We need to be active participants in our social lives, not just passively seeing what other people are doing.
1: Yeah, it's such an interesting conundrum because uh, there are so many ways you can talk about this. The reality is making a difference and making a change requires, well, you can't do it by yourself, right? Like you need help, you need another <laughs> side to break loneliness. This seems like a just like a major challenge for me to make, to make some headway here.
3: It really is in some ways. And I think when we think about it as an epidemic, it can feel really overwhelming. But what I like about the topic of social well-being is that everyone has a role to play and even very small things in our daily lives can make a difference. Uh, We need those close relationships with people, but also interactions with Strangers and acquaintances can make a difference for your social well-being and for theirs. There are so many ways to intervene on your social connectedness. And what's really great is that if you do something to help your own social well-being, you're also helping the social well-being of those you're reaching out to. So Mm. it it spreads. There's a ripple effect.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that is that is the uplifting part of it, right? Like, this is not... This is not a, a problem that necessarily requires medication or something expensive it does require and maybe that's the benefit as we talk with Carrie Henning Smith for the University of Minnesota maybe maybe that is the benefit of naming this as as a, a an epidemic uh, the fact that for the people who feel alone you, you don't feel crazy you're like all right this is a common problem like maybe we can all do something about it
3: That's exactly right. One thing that the Surgeon General likes to say is that loneliness is the same as hunger or thirst. If we're feeling hungry or thirsty, we know what to do. We know that that's just a normal feeling that humans get. And we know how to address it. If we're feeling lonely, it's just a normal feeling that everyone experiences. And it's our body telling us that we need some connection. And then we can do something we can reach out Call, text, email, go outside, whatever it might be, and find some connection.
1: Really good. Good stuff. Carrie Henning-Smith, Deputy Director of University of Minnesota's Rural Health Research Center. Really appreciate it, Carrie. Thank you.
3: My pleasure. Thank you.
1: Donald Trump gets a bit of a win from the Supreme Court today, which will hear his immunity claim in April. His trial was supposed to start in March. So the fact that the Supreme Court gets his case in April, who knows when they'll rule? It won't be immediate. So his actual trial probably won't start until May, June. Like, who knows? By that point, he'll certainly be the nominee. We spoke with Nikki Haley earlier this week. And if you didn't listen to it, you should uh, check it out on the podcast. Um, But one of the cases Nikki Haley was making to us is that Donald Trump has essentially redefined the Republican Party as the Trump Party, not saying that Trump is a Republican. (laughs) She's saying that Trump is Trump, like his philosophy has no underlying principle. It's just sort of whatever he feels. Uh, And that that argument's gotten some traction over uh, the last couple days as she's been trying to make that case. To me, it's, you know, the losers are losing, right? You're Nikki Haley or Dean Phillips. Dean Phillips got his butt kicked by Ann Williamson, who had suspended her campaign and today announced she was running again. I mean, the also-rans, Dan, are just—it's not even close. No, no, there's the the
0: traditional mechanisms for selecting nominees—
1: will get us Joe Biden and Donald Trump. That's it. That's uh, It's time for people to sort of get over their fantasies on both sides. I think Republicans have this fantasy that Joe Biden is going to just retire in the next month and Kamala Harris or someone else is going to... That ain't going to happen. Nope. It's not going to happen. Nope. And Democrats are thinking, well, you know, Trump's going to get thrown in jail. He's not. Like, it's going to be Delay City. He'll never... If the trial even happens, it'll be amazing. And I and Trump voters don't even care. That's just it. Even if he does get thrown in jail, you know, it shouldn't affect. I do think it w- there is a certain percentage of Republicans that would never vote for a Democrat, would never vote for Joe Biden. And if Donald Trump gets convicted of a felony, that perhaps it changes the equation for that.
0: I think that what it honestly comes down to is which side has their people come out to vote. And which side just people are disgusted yeah. and stay home. And that yeah. could be affected by a number
1: of different things. But. Laura Oaks with uh, local news in just a minute. Keep it right here on Drive Time.